Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Good morning, good evening, whatever time it is t- uh, uh, for you titanium nerds, whatever time it is that you're listening. Um, I'm really happy to have a couple of mates on with me today. Uh, one uh, gentleman you will probably know, uh, he is uh, the master of Bitcoin, the master of uh, investment knowledge. Uh, it's uh, James Martin who's here with us today. And uh, somebody who's been prolific on his podcast as well is uh, Bill Al, who's a, a chartered accountant. Is that correct? Chartered correct. accountant. Yeah. So this guy knows his taxes inside out, left to right, basically. And I thought we'd do something different today. So instead of talking about the titanium aspect of it, let's talk about something that's confused me for a long time and something that I only found out uh, about a week ago, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, and that's, you know, how to, uh, you know, the impact your training and your uh, uh, equipment has on your taxes, um, purely and simply because uh, uh, you know it's it's expensive getting trained, really expensive. I think I've said this before. I've spent about two hundred, two hundred and fifty thousand pounds on my own training, and uh, what I assumed is, let's say your tax bill is twenty grand. If you spend twenty grand on expenses, your tax bill goes to zero. I found out last week that's that's not the case. So we're going to go into that into a bit more. Um, uh, James, you're not even in the UK at the moment, are you? You're over in the US. I am in sunny Nashville, and this place is so much fun. Do you know every concept you have of a Midwest town, like yeah. honky-tonk yeah. bars and saloons and people, cowboys, everything is here. It's real, okay? Every stereotype you thought that there might possibly be about a town like this is all true, and it's a whole lot of fun, let me tell you. Where are you getting your boots on and... Uh... Doing some line dancing. <laughs> well, you can only, you guys can only see my upper half. I went full on American underneath this desk. You guys, you guys don't even want to see. What does full on American mean? It means, uh, you know, really tight shorts and uh, cowboy boots. But we'll save that one for later. The get the people who are listening to this in audio, uh, you're welcome uh, for that. Uh, hopefully, that isn't that mental image isn't too graphic. <laughs> Um, so if I'm if I'm not sounding hundred percent today, it's because I'm I'm not. I've 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 been off today. I've been sleeping most day because I don't know what type of man flu I've been hit with. But oh, it's rough. I came no, down with it on. No we're we're with you on that one. We're with you on yeah. that one. So I came down with it on 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 Tuesday. Ended up having to come home early. I pushed through work on 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 Wednesday, but I got home Wednesday night and I was just. I've just I've just been asleep for about eighteen hours trying to recover. I'm still not feeling great. So if my voice doesn't sound like it normally does, that's that that's that's the reason why. Um, yeah. So it's one thing I was going to say to you, and this is something that I know you've mentioned before as well, is that you were looking at like intros to your podcast. I don't know if you've heard my podcast intro. Uh, if not, it's worthwhile because. I may be biased, but I think it's the best intro on the planet. So <laughs> you're going to have to listen to it. So I really want to hear it. I really want to hear it. Can I look that up okay. while we're on the air and just listen you to that? No, absolutely. I really absolutely. want to hear that. I yeah. really so want to hear we'll, that. We'll wait for you. So it's, it's, it's on Spotify, Dental Implant Podcast. Dental Implant Podcast. You know, yeah. finding an intro is actually way harder than it might seem. I, I went through about five iterations and really? it, got, it got a little bit wacky at some point, at a few points. And then I thought, no, this just isn't me. 
let me just make it real simple. Now it's inspired inspired by Gary Vee's podcast intro, and it's just like, yes. welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast, plain and simple, right? And that was because I basically just said, right, I, I like no more. I just have yeah. to keep this simple. I'm just going to have to dumb this down and just go for the easy option. So I'm intrigued to hear yours, actually. I should have listened to yours while I was still making going through the iteration cycle for mine because it might have inspired me. If it's as good yeah. as you said it, we're, we're about to find out. I'm, I'm looking it up. My internet's a little slow. You might have to come back to me. That's all right. That's all right. So it's um it's one because I was I was encouraged to start this podcast by Jazz Galati of uh, Protruserati uh, uh, podcast, a protrusive dental podcast. And one of the things he said to me he said, "You need a solid intro." And I was like, "You know what? I've, <laughs> I don't know how it sprung into my mind, but it was like <laughs> I know exactly what I'm going to do." So. <laughs> I've been on a few to those listening, we will get to the interesting stuff in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Just wait. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, okay, this is going to play any second, any second. Zaga Protocols. Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host. Can you guys? Wait, can you guys hear this? Can you guys hear that? Yeah, let me start it yeah. again. Wait, what? Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast. With your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things related to dental implants. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you learn something valuable. I hope. Good evening, good morning. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> How's what? that for a <laughs> I wasn't expecting that at all. Okay. All <laughs> right. Is- I was not expecting <laughs> okay right that was that was okay i i believe you that was pretty good okay hats off, hats off. That, that, was that your impression of morgan freeman or was that like actually morgan freeman i couldn't really work it out I, I, I got an impersonator to do it and he he's he's, he's really really good okay. he's, he's, a, he's, actually, he's actually known for he, he's an impersonator he does a lot of different people and he he just absolutely nailed that one. And I was just like, yeah. Because he's one of my favorite actors. Shawshank Redemption is my favorite movie. So, yeah. oh, good choice, good choice. Okay. okay. I'm impressed. Okay. Right. Shall we, <laughs> now that the chit-chat's over, shall we get into it a little bit as well? So, um, James, I know that this is something that you've spoken about before. I think it's I think it was with Farhan in investing in yourself. Right, so yeah. investing in yourself in terms of education, uh, that 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 definitely comes that definitely comes down to it. So, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on uh, using education as an as an investment vehicle, because it's not just <clears throat> stocks, bonds. It's you know, it's it's upskilling so that you can generate more. Right. Here's the thing, right? Now, I li- I love this so much. Okay, because I feel like this is something <clears throat> that is done wrong massively in finance. You have to think about wealth like this. Think about wealth as a sphere in front of you, okay? Now, cut that sphere in half because there's actually two components. There's the create wealth aspect and then the build wealth aspect. This is the best way to think about it, right? And until we know both of these things exist, we don't know all of our options. And actually, when you have a conversation about wealth with most people, they'll focus on either one of them inadvertently without realizing it. And here's why. Let's say you go to your FA and they'll say, okay, Mr. Smith, you got all this money coming in. You're going to put your money into this part, this part, this part, and this part. And in about 20 years' time, you'll come back 
and you'll have a couple million in there. And all the while, I'm going to be siphoning off these percentages, which is going to make me wealthy simultaneously. But it would never happen unless you had me because you'd have to educate yourself in finance otherwise, and most people aren't prepared to go there. Okay? And that's the build wealth aspect, right? Now, I think people confuse investing with th- with something that's going to make them rich tomorrow. Now, from experience, unless you're very skilled with what you do, you're a very skilled trader, which, by the way, is like 0.0001% of society and probably pretty unattainable for most people. You're not going to be someone who's going to make that level of wealth instantaneously, particularly investing, especially in the build wealth side. The build wealth aspect is what you do with your money when you already have it. Because why would you go to the FA if you didn't have any flipping money, right? The FA tells you where to put the money, right? How to grow the money, but you have to have the money in the first place, okay? So that's building wealth. And if you go to your FA, now, by the way, this is not me bashing FAs. This is, there's, there's only love between me and the FAs, trust me, okay? But all I'm saying is that this is the perspective or angle that you'll get. And this is the aspect that people focus on, Right. But actually, if we look at wealth with those with that pair of lenses, we're actually looking at it with a set of blinkers, right? Because we're only looking at half the story. Let's go back to the sphere thing that I was talking about, right? If you go to your FA and you want to be rich tomorrow, trust me, it won't happen. It'll take many years. The clue's right there in front of you. Is the FA driving about in a Lamborghini? Do they have some magic ability or formula to make wealth? Probably not. They're just investing in the markets, which consistently grow over time. So that's building wealth, right? Let's go to the sexy side, all right? Let's go to creating wealth. Okay, now creating wealth, part of creating wealth is going to be education. It's going to be managing your outgoings because no matter how much money you have, you can spend it if you decide that you want to. It's going to be sales. These are the things that are going to put more money in Pav's hands tomorrow, in Bilal's hands tomorrow, in tomorrow. These are the things that have the scope to make you wealthy, right? There are actually four components to creating wealth. Right now, I've never actually seen this written down anywhere. These are the things that I find through time, through talking to lots of dentists and through my own realizations effectively. Yeah, there's four things that apply specifically to dentists, four realistic paths into which you should be channeling your energy if you want to create wealth, which is the sexy side, like I said, that's going to put more money in your hands. Right. The first one is accountancy. Right. Because now Bilal's the accountant here, and I'm not going to take the wind out of his his sales. But let's say, pure and simple, if we've got an associate that's earning 90K and they're a private dentist and all of their wealth is going into their personal name, if they set up a limited company, then they will have the ability to half their income tax bill over 40,000, over 50,000 pounds. Right, Bilal? Because effectively, the 40,000, let's call it roughly 20K tax that you're paying on that. 40% 40% plus national insurance is slightly off that. The figures aren't exactly accurate. But then all of a sudden, you're going to pay in corporation tax, which is half that, which is 10000 because it would ha- be originally half of your 40000 which is 20000 Corporation tax is half that. Therefore, your tax bill over 50000 halves. Bilal, have I got that correct? Yeah, the, lo- the logic is sound. Yeah. We're looking yeah. at it with very, si- very simple terms. There's more to it than that. There's more. Nu- it's way more nuanced than that. And you know, the thing about it is, it's not always... There's way more to it than that. And I've made it sound dreadfully simple, but effectively that that opportunity is out there for someone. And guess what? You've just created that money because it's 10,000 pounds that would have been going out otherwise, right? So that's more money in your hand, okay? Spending reviewing. I hate the word budgeting. I like the word spending reviewing. It's a bit of a euphemism, but it means the same thing, okay? Budgeting is like, whoa, we're getting a little bit defensive. Like, I don't want to spend, I want to enjoy my life. And you know what? Go and enjoy your life. 
But chances are, in most people, there's some leaky buckets on their income, okay? Take this from the person who, when he audited his personal account, I realized I was spending £1,000 on berries from the supermarket every year, okay? £1,000, okay? I can see you furrowing your brows, okay? £3.50, £3.50, three times a week, times it by 52, okay? That's, and by the way, that's pre-tax. So add the tax on, it's over a thousand pounds. Okay. Yeah. And it adds up and that's stunning. And I couldn't believe my flipping eyes. Imagine how this, I'm the one who flipping did it. Imagine how I felt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it can be done. Now I get my frozen from flipping Aldi, right? You want to put money in your hands, identify those things. And the silly direct debits you've forgotten about, things on current accounts and stuff like that. Right. The third one, now I am going somewhere with this and it is coming back to your point. Okay, Pat, Pat, it is, I, am, I am coming back to your point. The third one is sales, right? If a dentist gets better at sales, you can literally go to work on Monday and make more money. And you guess what? You can do that for the rest of your life. The main thing is holding people back is what's up here. They're limiting beliefs when it comes to sales. And for me, I used to think, what the heck is this? What's this hippie mumbo jumbo limiting beliefs and all of this stuff? But when someone points it out to you, it's really powerful. And that. By the way, I'm the person who didn't believe in that stuff at all, right? Now, to close the loop and come back to what you have, the fourth thing is business, right? Now, whether you're an associate or a principal, you're still a business in my view because you're self-employed, because you're you're the business of you, right? Yeah. If you wake up and you're more efficient in the morning, blah, 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 chances are that you'll go in and make more money in the day, just like a business, whether you're an associate or a principal, Okay. What's one of the ways that you can be more efficient is through education and ideas because success is a multiple of ideas multiplied by execution. If you have zero ideas and all the execution, that's still a whole lot of zero in terms of success. If you've got a few ideas and a huge amount of execution, you've got some more success. If you've got all the ideas, but you've got zero execution, you're also never going to be successful. If you've got all the ideas and all the execution, that's when the magic happens right there. And that's where education comes from. And you know, for me, like honestly, I don't even want to share how much I've spent on courses, dentistry, inside and outside of dentistry over the years. And all I will say is that each and every one of them gave me an ROI because I used every single thing that I got on there, right? And those were the things that were able to put way more money in my hands than what I would have done if I would have been building wealth, purely focusing on the building wealth thing, which is what we were talking about earlier, creating wealth. If you want to make more money tomorrow, that's where we should be looking. And a huge component of that is education. And for me, that was one of the quickest ways that I was able to create more wealth in the short term and help more people and get more satisfaction from life. So in essence, long story short, when you know all your options, is it going to be A, B, C, or D? You can actually see that out of all of those options, education is the thing that can actually give you limitless returns over time, not yeah. investing your money. Seriously. Yeah, I like that. I really like that. So it's, um, I mean, on, on that same thing as well, This, the, the, that, that's always been my philosophy. This is one of the reasons why I've, I've studied really, really hard, you know, um, and, um, you know, I've, I've always been open and honest about my past, but a few years ago, I went through the, the, the worst, the worst time of my life. I went through bankruptcy and a separation and um, I was for, for quite a while, I was, I, I was suicidal as well. And one of the things that kept me going was education, because I found that when I was studying, when I was reading a textbook, that 
I would, I'd go into flow state. So I'd be so engrossed with that, that I could read a textbook in the day. And then that was a day that I wasn't then sat around, you know, and having this weight on my shoulders. So I accelerated my learning through bad times because it, it was a coping mechanism for me to get out afterwards as well. But in addition to that as well, is, is what it's done is it's, 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 so for me, there's two components to it. Firstly, there's the, there's the education aspect that gives you the knowledge, but then you need the clinical exposure to actually be able to execute those skills to build it into muscle memory. That's really important. If you just have the, if you just have the theory, but none of the practical is you don't build the muscle memory. And what's happened is it's now pushed me to a point where I can now execute treatment that a lot of other people can't do. And you end up in a more niche market. And the more niche market that you have, then the less inadvertent competition there is. Not that there's that much competition because there's so much business out there for everybody. But I'm just finding that, you know, I'm enjoying the cases that I'm getting in now. So my my um, uh, my career is per- purely limited to implants now. Uh, we get a lot of patients who refer to us or come for us for second opinions, whether like, oh, I've been told I need quad zygos, and you look at it and going, no, we can get pterygoids in the back, one, what, maybe one zygote on this side, and then we can get the other implants in. Or, you know, if we, if we need to do zygos, it, it's, it's just, I'm at a point now where I'm that, I'm that uh, energized about my work that I absolutely love it. And this is one of the reasons why I'm helping other dentists to do the same, right? Because I want them to be able to, you know, accelerate their career because I'm, I'm, I'm doing uh, implants for a very personal reason. So in my, in my grandfather's later years, he wanted me to give him implants because he had removable dentures and I couldn't do it. And he got upset because he couldn't, he couldn't chew properly and he had to go into another room to eat. So he wasn't with the family. So I never got to help him. So everybody that I help now is in his memory. And then in addition to that is if I help other dentists help other people, that just magnifies for me. That's why I do this type of stuff, right? That's the reason why I love it. So circling back to everything, and this is where I'm going to get Bill Al's opinion on this now as well. So Bill, one of the one of the things that I found over the years is particularly when you start on training on implants, um, you know it's going to be expensive but you don't realize exactly how expensive it's going to be because what what ends up happening is you end up doing an entry-level course and you think, oh, I will be able to do everything. And that's not the case at all. And what happens is you very quickly hit a ceiling and then you've got to do another course, invest in more equipment and you hit another ceiling. So it's very much a stepwise progression. And for me, probably over the years, just on implants, I've spent 200k easily you know because it's you know a master's degree is 30 grand right it's 10 grand a year for three years it's even more than that now your basic implantology course is 10 grand you know your motors two grand you do a sinus lift course that's three grand you know all of this stuff adds up adds up then you've got traveling time away from from work so what i'd appreciate your thoughts on is what's the best way to structure this and what's the best way to structure it not only in terms of uh, how it works in relation to taxes, but what what we should do to make sure it's viable for the business as well. Because in my in my opinion, you know, in, uh, it's something that I've mentioned before is if you're doing an implant course, but you haven't got the clientele in your practice who can afford to have implants doing, should you, you know, should you be looking to move? Should you be, you know, so I'd appreciate your opinion on not only the tax side of the education and the equipment, but how to implement it into your business as well. Because otherwise people are just throwing money away. No, that's fantastic intro there. And I really appreciate, I appreciate being invited on. Um, 
everything you guys have said resonates beautifully. Um, and just sort of an intro into myself before we sort of jump into the meat and bones is the educational side of things is chartered accountant. You, you, it's a post-grad qualification. It's equivalent to a master's. So w- whatever degree you've done, you've then got to go do three years worth of training with a recognized training for, training provider. So someone, someone has to say, we will take this person on as a trainee knowing we're going to educate them for the next three years. Then you become chartered. That's the earliest stage you can become chartered. It's, it's three years on the job training. And your training has to be very specific. So uh, I'm ACCA qualified uh, and I have been for a number of years, but then you do the 14 exams and then after that, you've got to hit 14 objectives and someone has to sign that off that says, this is what you've done. And I didn't start accountancy until I was 22. So I left college at 16 um, because quite frankly, uh, well, I left college at, at 18, but at 16, I knew I couldn't go into university because we couldn't afford to go into university. So we had family, family situation, whatever, you know, whatever it was. Um, it meant we, I couldn't go. But, but I also didn't know what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to become a clinical psychologist. That, that's, that's, what I, that's what I was studying towards. So I studied psychology at A-level. I was good at, I was good, I was good at that. That's what I wanted to do. Um, when I left, um, I was helping my, my dad with his business, and I, I was always quite adept with numbers. I was always very good with numbers, and we had butchers. And I treated that as a business. It was my business and my family business, and I made sure at 16 uh, I was doing all the invoicing. I was making sure we had uh, throughput analysis. So when we get a whole carcass in and it gets portioned out, how much am I paying my butchers to do that? And then I couldn't drive at the time, getting in a van, then going to deliver it and, and doing all the invoicing. And then then realizing, um, so we shut the business down. I wanted to become an accountant. I, I knew I was good with numbers. And that's what I then did. So that was a, a very long road. And I then picked the right jobs. So on a training contract, you paid absolutely peanuts. It was about 18 grand. But you have to be in the right position to then get the next jobs. So I did a training contract um, and then went on to group finance at National Express, where there's a team of six of us looking after 2.2 billion pounds worth of revenue. And I remember, I remember rolling forward. So my background is, is, is the core technical accounting, so the accounting standards, how to make sure you, uh, the, the money flows through entities the right way, and presenting that up, and then writing the shareholder report. So everything I did was scrutinised. So Deloitte would come in and check every single number I, I, I created. So. That's the approach that I take to businesses today. But your generic accountant, Mr. ABZ Accounting Limited, anyone can call themselves an accountant, and you guys could open up a practice tomorrow, and HMRC wouldn't bat an eyelid. So this is this is where the key distinction comes from: is an accountant isn't a protected term; chartered accountant is. So so that's really important. So when you're taking that on, and then we look at the the educational side of things, what do we study? So people seem to think accounting tax. It actually forms a very small basis of what we actually study. Most of what we study in business strategy is tax is a byproduct of strategy that says if you lay out your foundations and you approach it with the mindset that I don't want you paying a penny more in tax than you have to, then, then it just happens. So the, the thing that everyone should be focusing on is the planning side, is the business side, is, is, is what do I actually want to achieve? Where do I want to be in my career? And then assume and working with your accountant that the efficiency will be will be along the way. But if you're treating if you're treating it as a I'm just gonna go do this thing, I see my accountant once a year, I see him in December, I pay my taxes in January, or her in December and I pay my taxes in January, then you're you're wasting two years. So if we just use sort of the current tax year as an example, we've just finished up 21-22, we're in tax year 22-23. Most people won't even start the process until December. So that entire year, you don't even know what you've made, what taxes you've got to pay, and then how what you've spent impacts your tax bill. 
So you're in for a very nasty surprise. And then secondly to that is you've lost most of the current year you're in. So in terms of planning, in terms of efficiency, in terms of all of that, is when were you planning on sitting down and doing all, all, all of that? Um, and when, when did you carve out your your plan that says, and, and implantology is fantastic. And I think you've, you, you, something that we deal with quite a lot of implant surgeons, and it's a rabbit hole. And and once you go down that rabbit hole, you, you can't flirt with it. It doesn't work. You, you either go into a whole hog knowing that, you know, the, the first step is going to cost you 20 grand at least. Just that, just that first entry, and that first, then you've got to buy all the equipment, then you've got to get special, like you say, in the science lift and everything like that, that says, at what point do you decide your level? At what point do you decide, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm happy? Realistically, never. You'll, you'll want to keep pushing yourself. And uh, as James said, the educational thing it, it is what's going to make you the most money over your career. So that's really the the the, the intro side of things in, in sort of me and what I do, and, and we only deal with dentists. So uh, our entire practice is geared towards dentists, and solely at the at the planning state, at the planning side, that says when we take a client on, we will do a full detailed conversation. With, you know, what sort of dentistry do you practice? Why do you practice that? What do you want to do? What does the next twelve months look like for you? Um, what do the next twenty-four months look like for you? What have you got on the horizon? And we really challenge our clients when they say to us, "We want to spend money on a course because." And it sounds terrible, but I'm going to say it as it is. Is, is, is it for business or is it for ego? You know, are you doing it because you want the letters after your name or does it does it meet the plan? And um, James uses the term ROI. Most people approach ROI as ROCE, both Rocky or um, return on capital employee. Return on investment is very much the same way people look at buy-to-lets. That says, I'm going to put 50 grand into this buy-to-let it's going to give me £700 a month rental income in perpetuity. That, that's how return on investment is generally calculated. Within dentistry, we should be looking at returning capital employed. Is I'm going to put 50 grand into this. When do I get the 50 grand back? Because if that return on capital employed is 18 months, then we know anything after the 18-month point, from month 19 onwards, I'm in profit. Because it's paid me back on 50K, now from month 19 onwards. Now, when you're approaching your training courses, at what point do you decide you want to level up? Now, have you... Have you hit the level you want to be at that then, you know, you've recovered the, the, the training course and you want to move on to the next? Or are you just going to go hell for leather and trying to get as much done in a short period of time? But will your experience meet your qualification? And that's a whole different ballgame. So the, the tax side of things, and we'll, we'll go through that in a bit more detail probably uh, as, as, as the flow of this, this conversation continues. But it really boils down to, I think, if, if you focus on tax, then you're focusing on the wrong number. And as James says, as long as you focus on the top line number, a big tax bill is a nice problem to have. A big tax bill you weren't aware of is a bad yeah. problem. So let's make you aware of that number as soon as possible and mitigate mitigate where you can. But like James says, having those conversations early with the right people will tell you that. Now, James won't, won't, um, won't bad mouth uh, IFAs. I might. But um, we, we, we don't sell a product. When I hear, I'm only joking. Yeah. Um, we, we don't sell a product. You know, we're your advocate. So in that scenario, James says, for um, what, what, what could I be saving? You know, there, there's, there's, there's way too many variables to jump through this, but one of the biggest reasons you're so limited is because you can control how much money you take out of your company. So if you earn 100 grand a year and you're, you're a sole trader at the moment, you will pay about £33,000 in tax. It, it, it's just all it is what it is. The first £5,500 tax-free, up to 50k paying 20%, then anything over 50k paying 40%, up to 150k, then it's 45% thereafter. National insurance rates have just changed, so it's 10.25% up to 50k. 
3.25% thereafter in perpetuity. When you operate via a limited company, it's a different thing altogether. So, you know, PAV Limited is a separate legal entity, PAV. So PAV Limited now earns all, all the money, earns 100K, on which you draw a very modest salary, which then reduces your tax further. So you then pay a flat rate of corporation tax, so it's 90%. Currently, we, there's no means of it rising to 25%. When, how, why, when that will look like, we don't know, but it's currently 90%. Once that 19% tax has been paid for, in this scenario, would be about 17k in tax. There's 73 and a half grand left over in the limited company. Well, where does that go? So if you take it all out, um, you're about two grand better off. Now, is it worth it for that? It depends on you. Um, you know, worth is intrin intrinsic, value is intrinsic. But if we said the most tax efficient amount to take out your company is 50k, so you've taken a very small salary, you've taken the rest out of dividends. Your self-assessment now shows 50k, and on that you will save about 13 grand in tax. So 13 grand in tax, that's more liquidity that you've now got to put elsewhere. That says, do you want to accelerate your learning? Now you've got 13 grand more liquidity to play with to now invest back into yourself. Now investments, like, like James rightly says, are intrinsic. Look, it doesn't always have to be cash. It doesn't always have to be money. It's, it's what gets you value. And that's the bit that we always seek out is, is what's your reason? What are you trying to achieve? And we tag everything back to that. So... In that scenario, um, you take 50 grand out, you've saved 13 grand in tax, there's now 33,500 pounds sat in the limited company. Well, what do you want to do with it? Does it all go back into investments? Do you go you know, buy machinery, equipment? What do you want to do with it? Ironically, you know, wherever you buy your machinery, you get the same tax saving on the side, but we're talking about liquidity, we're talking about investing. It says, where, what leaves you more cash overall? Well, it depends on how much you're going to spend on this. And there's, there's never a catch-all answer to any of this. And then... What sort of expenses will you be incurring? Now, not all expenses, not everything you spend will be tax deductible. It's just not the way, unfortunately, it's just not the way it works. And we had a client yesterday who um, was having to travel quite a lot, uh, was spending about eight, nine hundred pounds a week on travel and accommodation because he was, he was up uh, in the northeast and he was, he was traveling down south. It's traveling to a regular place of work. He can't claim that as an expense. And it's a bit of a pill to swallow, but if you make someone aware of it early on, then it's fine. Um, then we talk about expenses, you know, what qualifies as an expense, how do expenses work? But before that, I'll let you guys interject on, on anything I've covered already. No, I mean, that, that that's, I was going to say it makes sense, but it's, again, it's new information to me. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm just the type of person where it's just like, uh, you know, historically, it's just like numbers are just like, you know, I'll leave that to my accountant to deal with. And I've made the mistake in the past of having somebody who who, who was just, uh, you know, tick boxing and sending it into HMRC as opposed to having somebody who's a, so I've moved to a chartered accountant recently and he's, he's, he's doing, um, uh, he's, he's, he's doing a really good job for me. So how would it, uh, so obviously it's, it's now starting to become clear that, you know, there are benefits to having a limited company, but let's say you don't have a limited company or you do, and you want to, you, you're either starting into the, uh, a dental implant journey or you want to, you want to, progress further how does investing at that stage in your education or equipment how does it Im impact taxes because again this is something that we joked about i think Bilal, i saw this on one of your reels on instagram i'm sure it was last week or something like that where people think that um you know if you've got a 20 grand tax bill you spend 20 grand on expenses and you've got your you know your tax bill zero and you're like, that's not the case. And I was like, what do you mean that's not the case? That's that's news to me. I'm 43 years old. I've just learned this now. So how, how does it impact whether you're a limited company or whether you're a, a, a sole trader? Good question. So the first thing is, we, we as a firm of accounts, we kick 
we bring our clients kicking and screaming right up to the conversation with us. So we, we, we refuse to sign anything off until you say, I get it. So we will go through the numbers with you. We do all of that. And, and we want you to understand because the more you get familiar with your numbers, the better decision making you make. Now, with regard to expenses, and again, sort of sidestepping limited company sole trader for now, is, and, and, and I was, I mean, I live and breathe this, so it, it, it seemed only logical to me, but I think the, the, the main proponent to this is American TikTokers and your Grant Cardones that says, I had, a, I, had a, I had a tax bill, I went and bought a jet for 100 million pounds, I paid no tax. Well, brilliant, you've got no cash either now. So, brilliant, you, you crippled yourself trying to, trying to save on tax. I mean, it makes no sense. But there's so many people on social media doing that. A lot of my clients send me those TikToks and say, Bill, how can we do this? And when you explain to them, oh, we didn't understand that. And that's what led me to make that real, is, is whatever your... Whatever your numbers are, you know, ignore the numbers for now. They're not going to be accurate because uh, the tax bandings and thresholds, they are the way they are. But let's say you make 100 grand um, profit. So you, you, you've gone out and you've earned 100 grand as an associate. Yeah. And your taxman on the back of that is 40 grand. If you have 40,000 pounds worth of expenses, it doesn't reduce your tax bill to nil. What it does do, it takes your 100 grand down to 60K and you pay tax on the 60K on the same bandings, which is first 12 and a half grand tax-free, up to 50K within 20%, and then that 10K between 50K and 60K will be taxed at 40%. So just by spending money, you, you, will, you will cripple yourself, you, you know, you'll bankrupt yourself by trying to, trying to not pay tax. And it's, it's, it's a very short-sighted thing to do. Now, how expenses work, there's, it's, there's a minefield. You know, some, of the, some of the rules are contradictory. Some of the rules you really have to know specifically, but in, in this environment, and the biggest one, biggest, biggest thing we're discussing today is, is the training courses. Now, if you're learning a brand new skill, doesn't doesn't relate to your business or anything like that, you cannot claim that as an expense. If you're enhancing an existing skill, then you can claim that as an expense. Now, when you have something like a master's, it's difficult to say that's that's a business expense because are you learning a brand new skill or are you, are you enhancing an existing skill? Or how, how does a master's help you benefit, help, help your business at all, or is it or is it purely an academic pursuit? So that that in itself is, is is a challenge. Now we as a firm of accountants, depending on a case by case basis, we will go to a second set of accounts. So accountants for accounts. These are the type of accountants that only live in dark rooms that only speak to other accountants because that's the only form of English they know. They cannot speak to the general public. But you have to ask them a very specific set of questions. So we will present it to them that says, look, if this is on erring on our and too gray for us, we will go to them and say, look, these are these are, this is the scenario, this is what's happened. Can we claim it or not? They will say yes. They will say no. Our goal is to try and get it through, but you know, being factual and honest, because we're not trying to deceive anyone. Um, we're not we're not we're definitely not trying to deceive anyone, but the, the goal here is if they come back and say yes you can and then HMRC later down the line say no you can't, they they indemnify their response. So we go after them, you don't suffer it. And um, but if you can, you know, we say you can, then you know we'll, we'll live and die by our decision. Um, but if we don't think we can, then, then, then very much a no. But then this is where the challenge comes into it that says, if you're if you're currently a general dentist and you want to become an implant surgeon and you need to go on an implant course, is that enhancing existing skill or are you learning a brand new skill? So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. See, I've 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 heard it argued both ways before because we get taught the absolute basics of, of, of implants at BDS, 
don't get taught much on it, but you get taught this is what an implant is. You know, when you people got it, 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 it it's an option. Um, and so I, I have had some people argue, well, I already know about implants, so I'm in, I'm enhancing a, an existing skill. And then I've heard other people claim, well, you know what, you're not placing implants, so you know about them, but there's, there's you know, a, it's a non-dentist can know about them just by just by doing a quick Google search. So I, I I don't I don't have an answer to that you know um, it's um, I mean everything that I'm doing now is obviously enhancing in, in enhancing a new skill but I've heard it argued both ways but I think I think the argument that you're enhancing an existing skill where you, you you haven't done your basic course I think that's quite a weak argument to be honest with you and, and you're absolutely right it, it, it's an argument because in, in the UK and this is where again I get frustrated with with TikTok um, finance gurus is the uh, Americans run something called Sarbanes-Oxley. Sarbanes-Oxley, the, the legal system there is the letter of the law. If the law says you cannot eat apples at work, you can't eat apples at work, but you can eat pears, you can eat oranges, you can eat satsumas, you can eat pineapples, or anything like that. In the UK, if it says you can't eat apples at work, then it also means you shouldn't really be eating any fruit in the UK. So, so it really, in the UK, we apply something called the spirit of the law, what is it trying to say? Could it have covered every variable when it was set out? No, but you knew what it was saying, so stop being silly. In America, it's different. In America, if the word, if, if, if the black and white text says that, that's the thing you can't do, you can do everything around it. So this is where we have to sort of through the mud and really say, you know, we have to ignore that and go speak to someone who knows what they're talking about, which is why having someone that's dental specialist is really important because this is where we then go to HMRC, we go to back for you that says, no, no, this is why we think it's the case. And we will go back and forth with them. And, you know, we, all our clients, are, we, we pay for indemnity for our, all our clients. It says if you have to go back to going back and forth with HMRC and we did your accounts, we don't bill you. We claim that by insurance because we, you know, we knew what we were doing at the time. We've got the documentation set up. And again, my background is I, I'm, I'm almost waiting to be scrutinized for everything I did anyway. So we, we uh, take the right documentation and everything like that. Um, masters is a difficult one because... It is that there's a separate set of rules for, for master's qualifications and, and how that works. The rules are slightly different for limited companies, for, for sole traders, but they're, they're massively convoluted, so probably another conversation for another time. But then the, the conversation then becomes, if, like in your case, Pat, is if you've spent 200 grand on enhancing your skills, but we can't claim the first qualification or the first course, and we can claim everything else as enhancements, then that works as well. So if you've never done anything on implants and you know you can't realistically say we did it, then then the first bit you don't claim, and the rest of you can because you're enhancing an existing skill set. So there's sort yeah. of swings and roundabouts yeah. on that. But I think the biggest one for me, and and not enough is publicised about this, is it's very difficult for your accountant to get in trouble for anything they they do for you, and it's terrible. It's terrible because whether you're a sole trader, limited company. You've outsourced your responsibility. So in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of HMRC, you as the business owner, be it sole trader or limited company, have, have to sign those accounts off. You own those accounts. You outsource them to an accountant, then you need to make sure what they're putting through is correct. Because a lot of, a lot of, a lot of dentists that we deal with will say, yeah, it's fine. Sign them. No, no, you need to check it because you're responsible for this. Is if they start putting things, mortgage payments, sofa payments, all that kind of stuff, which so we've seen it happen, is you're responsible for that. And then if, if, if we take you on as a client and your last three years of accounts have been bogus, we, we, we'll draw a line under that that says that if anything comes on the back of that, you know, we, we suggest you change them. 
because they're not right. And if the client says, no, we won't change them, either we disengage and say, look, we won't take that on um, because it opens up our entire client base to that level of scrutiny. Because if, if we get tarred with a brush that we don't want, then we, we will say no to that business. But conversely, if it's a little bit and we say, look, fine, you don't want to do it. You, you, you're going to put everything right. You didn't know what you were doing, but if it comes about, we will charge you to put that right because you knew what you did was right. So that, that that's a separate thing. I mean, that's that's the other thing that you've got to consider is, is you know, do you know enough about what you're signing off because you're responsible for it? And as a director of a company, an limited company, the legal responsibility is even greater because you have something called a fiduciary responsibility. Now, you know, you heard about directors going to prison for stuff that they should have done uh, or didn't do. Directors have a legal responsibility to act in the best interests of the shareholder. Now, most limited companies have a smaller size shareholder and director is going to be the exact same person. But in the eyes of the law, total separate people. You're a shareholder, you're a shareholder, you own the company, you, you employ directors to run the company for you. Now, if we use a scenario that says Pav owns Pav Limited, is a shareholder of Pav Limited and employs me to run the company and I start doing some shady things and start putting some weird or wonderful things through the accounts, um, I could go to prison for that. As a director, I have a fiduciary responsibility. So, And again, the seriousness of the legal structures is really important. And, and we, we stress that importance yeah. to, to our clients. That says, you have to be all over this. You need to understand why. And be ready to question, why have we done this? Why haven't we done this? And, and, and why have we claimed this course? And why haven't we claimed this course? Why have we treated your equipment uh, purchases slightly differently? Because that the way you buy equipment is treated differently in your accounts. And, and again, where does that show up in the accounts? How do you know what that looks like? And, and it's really important for you to get all over it, um, which, which goes back to what I was saying right at the start, is if you don't have the baseline knowledge, then your forecast is, is out of whack already because you need, you need to have a baseline understanding of what you spent, when you spend it, and why you spent it, but then forecast the next 12, 24 months to understand where you want to end up. James, what are your, what are your thoughts? Well, there's one thing that you said earlier, Bilal, and it was like you were basically – it was actually before you talked just then. It was uh, about five, five, ten minutes ago, and you were basically saying, you know, at what point do we put money into investing in ourselves, and at what point do we actually tuck some away and maybe put it in the markets, and where do we put – where does all this money go, Right. And that's something that people say to me all the time. And I feel like a lot of people think that there's going to be a magic ratio, like you do this, 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 and this, you know. But actually, it's a very personal question. Because if we think about finance, the clues in the name, personal finance, it's personal. And every individual's answer is going to be different. And the easiest way that I've ever found to circumvent that, or at least have some sort of structure to it, is to think about something called your buckets, Right. So your buckets are you've got all this money coming in and you're thinking to yourself of this one thousand pounds, of this ten thousand pounds a month. Let's use ten thousand pounds a month. Nice and round. We've got one thousand pounds that's tucked away for a tax. And it'll probably be more than that if you're earning that level of money. But you catch my drift. One thousand pounds goes into your tax bucket. One thousand pounds goes into your living expenses bucket. Two thousand pounds goes into your education bucket, and the rest goes into your investing. And that sounds so simple, but you know the number of people that actually do that, like this, yeah. And it's the easiest thing in the whole world to do. The reason why so few people do it is because it requires discipline, you know. But what it means is, here's the thing: every single pound that you have in your bank account that is not allocated towards something specific is actually a waste of money, and here's why, okay? Because if you're just saving up for the sake of it, then the government 
is actually taking that wealth back from you via inflation every single hour of every single day, right? And here's the thing, because every single extra pound that they create devalues the pound that you have in your bank account. So if that cash is just sitting around listless, think about it. If you spend a thousand hours working for that money and the rate of inflation is 10%, then effectively the records only show that you worked 900 hours by the end of the year. Now, you still work those thousand hours. Imagine if someone said to you, actually, I'm not going to pay you for three weeks work. What would you say? You'd say no way in hell, right? That's how yeah. ludicrous it is. That literally happens. That's it politely. Yeah, and that's politely, right? No one would ever stand for that. You'd be utterly indignant, right? But that happens under, under the bonnet, under the, you know, under, you can't see that happening, you know? Uh, sinister, you know, it's, it's happening in this way that you can't even, you don't even realize it, right? That's happening every hour of every day, right? If you're storing your wealth primarily in capital, the capital is sitting listlessly in your bank account, you have way more than what you realistically need to sustain yourself. Should you lose your job, six months is a good rule of thumb, th six months of expenses, everything over and above that, that doesn't have a home, whether that home is a bucket or some form of investment, is actually wealth that you're losing perpetually. But because it's happening so subtly, it's very easy to get totally complacent about it. Use the buckets. Interesting so, way of looking at it, right? Every single second you don't have a bucket is actually costing you wealth. So yeah, interestingly, I like that. interesting, just on that, James, is, is we had a planning session with a client last night where we did where we did well, we didn't call it buckets, but I like that terminology. I'm gonna use that going forward. Is we, we did a similar exercise. So when we went through his setup, um, his bucket, so to speak, so we had some debt repayments. He had um, some money he wanted to put aside for a rainy day fund, and um, he had some some investing goals that he wanted to make. And we he, he had spoken to an IFA, came back and said, Look, I don't fully understand what they're trying to sell me, but you know, can we have a chat? Look, we, we don't give we don't give financial advice, but you can speak to us anecdotally, and we can give you the pros and cons, the ins and outs for why you would do what you want, why you would, why you do what you want to do. So, in that scenario, when we went through all the numbers in his head, he had, he had had I want to take this much out of my company each month because then I can put this much into my ISA, this much into 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 debt repayments, and this gets me to where we want to get it to. We, we sort of phase that out over the next twelve months before his tax year. And then we worked out, but he didn't need to take that much money out because by month, by October, he's repaying his debts. So he can step off uh, how much money he's extracting. And then, then when we went through the numbers again, we we're like, well, and then sort of just to sort of the conversation back and forth is, so I can't say you shouldn't invest in an ISA or you should invest in stocks and shares for your limited company. But by going through the mechanics of the pros and cons, you know, his long-term goals with it and how he would take the money out in the future, he had decided that investing in stocks and shares through the company was a better option for him. Now, through that entire conversation, he'd saved himself about five grand. And that was an hour's conversation that we had last night. And you think, well, five grand for an hour's work. And he's educated himself. So now, now he goes to his IFA. Now he says, look, this is what we want to do. So now he's going to his IFA with a very direct set of rules that says, these are the rules that I want you to adhere to. Tell me the best product to now invest in. And now he's in control of the conversation. And I think that... That to have that empowering is is really important, and I do the same thing with courses. I do the same thing with training courses. So I will challenge my clients when they, so none of my clients will will spend a large sum of money without speaking to me first. So we have a messaging service that says I'm about to spend sixteen grand on this course. I will fall out of my seat and I'll get and we'll book them and say, Why are you spending sixteen grand on this course? What, what what is it giving you back? 
And, and you know, where, where does that meet up on the planet? And, and how does that fill that bucket? And I think that that powerful phrase, and I'm going I'm I'm to nick that going forward, but we do the exact same thing that says, well, um, you know, it, 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 it's a course that I want to do because it helps me do this. And I mean, my wife's a dentist, and she keeps saying she wants to do um, the next level of facial aesthetics because that she does cosmetic dentistry, and, and it allow her to do uh, tear trough and non-surgical rhinoplasty. But I, I think and the challenge I've made, made on that is, of the money you've spent so far, have you have you even recuperated back first bit yet? Which we wouldn't know, but but I'm getting inquiries for this thing. Well, then your marketing's up to skew then. Because you're not marketing the services you currently have. Your your training is dictated by your inbound inquiries. And and, and how do you know your 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 client base, you know, your, your request? Because I think Pab, you said it right at the start, is if you want to embark on this route, but the practice you currently work at doesn't have the clientele that you want, you now need to move practices. Not not take on another course. <coughs> forces yourself into um, into a pigeonhole. And, and I, I have this conversation with my friends all the time, and, and it frustrates me. Is, um, you know, my parents came over from Pakistan uh, when they were 17, 18 years old, and I'm here by some some freak of freak, freak of luck that said two people of different parts of Pakistan decided to meet and decided to come over to, to the UK. And people, all my mates, we, we grew up within sort of three-mile radius, haven't moved out from there. And I went... Our parents moved thousands of miles and you can't move 20 miles out to get a better opportunity and then you're constantly complaining about the work that you do and it's not paying you enough money. But what have you done for that? You know, where, where, where's, your, where's your mass migration happened? Where's your move to London happened? Where's your move to Manchester? Wherever, wherever the opportunity is, where's that happened? But you're trying, to, you're trying to now find, you're trying to sort of upskill yourself in this sort of boundary, but it's not the right thing for you. So... Are you spending money on courses to try and be the best, you know, the biggest fish in a small pond, or do you need to move ponds? Can I say one tiny thing on top of that, right? Going back to the create wealth thing that we were talking about. If you said to someone, actually, you can have £5,000 from an hour's conversation, you can do an hour and basically generate £5,000. You remember how I said that accountancy plays into the creating wealth side? Wow. What sort of flipping investment is going to give you a return like that? Yeah. But yeah, everybody, everybody's flipping, you know, chasing, chasing mirages and chasing illusions over here, trying to invest their money, but they're not actually looking at the efficiencies that could be generating them more money in the first place or creating them wealth. Yeah. And that's, that's what I see so, so often. And it's about taking everybody's focus, taking it away from the thing that we all think is going to make us rich and actually saying, listen, as a dentist, these are the four places that you should be looking. And all of a sudden, you know where to put your energy, right? And there's a brilliant example right there. Just what you said. So I, I, if I had hair, I'd probably pulled it out by now. Is is I'm dead against discounting, and I hate discounting because I've, you spent two hundred grand to get to where you are, and if someone's going to ask you for a discount, then they, they don't respect the work that you, or, or the effort it's taken for you to get there. And same with dentistry, you know, you take on masses of debt and and personal sacrifice. And as an associate, you're very quick—not you personally, but they're very quick to, to discount. So when we, when we do the planning exercise, we start from the bottom up. It says, where do you want to be in, in two years? What, what goal do you have? I'm getting married. I want to buy a house. I want to buy a new car. I want to, want to do this. I want to save enough money to, to do my squat practice, so on and so forth. We work backwards from that. It says, fine, what sort of practice do you want to buy? You know, let's say the number's 100 grand, whatever it is. Let's say the number's 100 grand. And let's say it's going to take us two and a half years to get there. Yeah. And we work backwards from that. It says, right, we can work out the correct structure for you now. It says... 
if you're if you, if all your work is going to be private and you're two and a half years away from where you want to be, then going limited is a good option because you're not gonna you're not gonna trip yourself over trying to trying to achieve something. So let's say we go limited. Fine. Now we know what the tax position is. Then we work backwards. What are your overhead costs? That says you know your GDC, your indemnity, your training courses, plan for courses, um, any marketing, um, any upskilling, any equipment that you need to buy, and then that takes us down to the variable cost that says of the treatments you do, what costs are attributed per treatment. And then you work that out, and then you work out the top number that says, well, based on all of that, you need to make this number. Because if you don't make that number, then you, then, then, then 100 grand is not going to fall out the other side. And then, then, then you say, every time you discount, it pushes that goal away. So now do you want to discount or do you want to push the goal away? And then if you want to spend money on this course, what does it do to the So if you're going to spend 16 grand on this course or 20 grand on this course, what does it do to the end number? Does it push it out or does it bring it forward? And if it's pushing it out, is it the right thing to do? And I can't answer that question. That's where that's where you go back to speak to your peers and you reevaluate your goals. That says, well, maybe this this course isn't the right course for me. Maybe there's another course out there. Uh, and I think people get paralysed by the numbers that says, I'll do the 16 grand course before I do the 20 grand course because it's four grand cheaper. But the 20 grand course might bring that 100 grand goal in six months. So there's a direct correlation between four grand extra and six six months time saved to get to the to get to the end goal, which was worth it. And that, that's where that's where it's very intrinsic. And I think this is what I've spent a decade doing uh, with big businesses. This is entirely what I've done with big businesses. Now, when we set our budgets up, we set them up in September for the year ahead. And generally, they run January to December. And you know, there's there's extenuated circumstances. COVID. You know, how could we have planned for COVID? There's no way we're going to plan for COVID in the planning session. But how do we react to that? That says how what by by doing the planning, by doing the forecasting, you can then pull your levers. That says. Of all my fixed costs that I've planned in, what are the absolute essentials for me to continue working in, in, in a downturn, in a down economy, things like that? And what would be nice to have? And the first thing people will, will sort of strip out is the training. They think, well, is it the right thing? Because the more you focus your niche, the more money you'll make. So is it the right thing to do? But then if you plan for it, and then you sort of work backwards with a plan that says, well, I needed 80 grand to live off. I probably don't need 80 grand to live off. I'm not going to get that new car. Instead, I only need, now I only need 60 grand to live off, for instance. Well, now you've still got that 20 grand to spend on the course. Dude, half, of the, half the time is keeping up appearances, you know? And I can't say I'm an angel either. You know what I mean? I really can't. You know, I, uh, I'm not going to name names, but uh, I've seen some people earning 300K a year, but, you know, they spend 260 on their lifestyle, you know? Now, that does include school fees and things like that. And you're just like, you want to trim some fat off. Look at the expenses. Out of 260 going out the door, there's got to be something there somewhere, you know. But then those people, now this is this is me saying it. I'm saying this with total love, you know, and it comes from education. These same people will come and they'll say, I want to grow my money, though. I want to create more by building wealth. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Before we do that, let's look at the easiest way you're going to make more money, you as an individual, is trimming off the fat is a bit of spending reviewing, but no one's interested in that, you know, <laughs> or they're certainly less interested anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, the, you can, you can put so much money in your hand with that perspective. Those four things, four things are so powerful. So the, there's, there's, there's a couple of themes that I've picked up on. And um, firstly, Bilal, you're talking about discounting. So I don't discount at all ever. Um, and in fact, my fees are, are, are quite a bit higher than average. 
but that's because I know I'm good at what I do, right? It's okay. um, last year I placed uh, last year I placed two thousand implants. You build up a lot of muscle memory doing that, and occasionally I'll get a patient coming through the door and then turn around and say, waving a piece of paper, saying, "Oh, guy down the road can uh, can do my implants at this cost. What can you?" I don't even look at it. I go, "Hang on." I said, "Let me stop you right there." If you're interested in cheap, you're in the wrong place. I said, I don't even need to look at that paper to tell you that what I'm going to charge you is probably going to be more than that. So if you're interested in cheap, you're going to waste your time with me. Um, on that, on that, Pav, real quick, and on that, you probably found this yourself. Let's say you were trying to beat that person, race to the bottom, right? The thing about implants is, and the thing about dental treatment is that it sometimes doesn't go to plan. That is the nature yeah. of the beast. You can do everything perfectly, Right. All of a sudden, you've discounted that treatment. I, I'm only saying this because I've done this before and I learned the hard way, right? And I hope no one, anyone listening to this doesn't make the same mistake as me, right? Then all of a sudden, that patient thinks, well, that guy cut corners, didn't he? Because the thing didn't work. Yeah. And they get totally yeah. the wrong end of the stick. You think you're doing them a favor and it's the total yeah. opposite total opposite. And Absolutely. that's how the patient perceives it. And we think to ourselves, oh, we're being Mr. Nice Guy. This is nice. Mrs. Nice Girl, whatever, yeah? And that's how the patient can sometimes perceive it, but they don't know that things yeah. can go not to plan, even if yeah. everything goes completely smoothly from the dentist's perspective. Um, and we've only had it a couple of times, is the, the, the clients that give us the most grief and the most hassle are the ones we've discounted, and, which is why we, we don't do it. We'll, we'll never do it. And they've caused us the, yeah. no end of... Because no, I think they don't value the service anymore. Yeah. I think taking half a step back, and uh, I'm going to try and wrap this up soon because my fever's kicking and I'm burning up. I need to take more uh, more medication. Is that um, being a bit more philosophical about this now? Is one thing we've all spoken about is taking the ego out of it. Okay, so James, you said taking your ego out of it so that you know you don't have to keep up with the Joneses and you know exactly where your money's going, so it's not going to be wasted, right? I've talked, I've spoken about keeping your ego out of it because, you know, I get some people who turn around and say to me, Pav, can you teach me how to do sinus lifts? Like, yeah, fine, not a problem. How many inquiries are you getting? You get some people that say, I'll get one a week. It's like, fine, you're going to build up that skill quite quickly. And you get other people that turn around and say, well, there was two people who might have been suitable for sinuses last year. You think to yourself, if you go to your indemnity and turn around and say to them, you want to start doing sinuses, first thing that they do is double your indemnity. If you're doing two a year, that's then an ego thing. I'll turn around and say to them, let me teach you how to do simpler implants more efficiently and have fewer problems with them. And that's going to increase your bottom line. You know, when you get to the point when you're doing this many sinuses, you know, then we can come in uh, when you're getting this many inquiries, then we can come in and we can do some more training for you. So in that context, it's taking your ego out of it in, in that, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that, that you understand the dynamic that you're in. And then Bilal, you, you'd mentioned as well, taking your ego out of it, that like you're not just doing courses for the sake of doing it. And it's reflected in your business plan as well. The second thing uh, that, that I was, that I'd noticed that we all had in common as well, it comes down to planning. It comes down to planning what you want to do with your money. It comes down to planning your business over the next 12, 18, 24 months and having that link in with planning your education and how you want to do it as well. So <clears throat> If any one of those is not planned properly, it's just going to be, oh, well, you know, I'll throw money at this. I'll throw it. And then that's when, excuse me, that's when that's when people run into problems. That's when they'll do what I did and spend way too much money and not understand why it's not working. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but those are the two kind of like common themes that I, that I felt that we all had. 
All I was going to say is, you know, if you earn a million, you can spend a million. That's it. Because yeah. once you beat the Joneses, there's going to be the Smiths. Then there's going to be the whoever, the Phillips. Then there's going to be the Bezos's and the flipping whoever, whoever else there is. You know, there's always going to be someone, right? So why yeah. play an, why play an unending game? You can never win. You know, there has to be a cap on there. And I'm not saying be frugal. I'm not saying pinch every penny. I'm not like that. Like, I like to be generous when people are around me. And I would always encourage that. And that's an investment in itself because I swear that that stuff makes itself back to you. You know, if you look at it purely from the numbers and you think, oh, I'm going to buy this bread because it's 10p less than this one and all that stuff, I think that you're getting too into it. But all I am, all I am saying is there has to be some restriction somewhere and there's always going to be financial excess weight, especially, let's go back to that, individual i was talking about just a minute ago 300k 260k going out the door right there's got to be something something we can save in there somewhere you know and like i say i feel like too many people focus on the investing side because they think there's going to be the remedy to that and i'm like no before we get on to that it's the no-brainer simple stuff a little bit of budgeting here's a book for everybody kakibo kakibo has anybody heard of that book i've not heard of it it's a budgeting book right and it's the best, you want to make more money, you want to have a good investment, this is the best £10 you'll ever spend because I guarantee you'll make that back in many multiples in the first month that you have this book, Kakabo. And all it does is, it <laughs> mate, it's brilliant, right? All it does is, it ho- it just makes you think what's going in, what's coming in, what's going out. It makes you write down every direct debit. I guarantee you'll be like me, you'll find a four three or four in there that you've forgotten about. Everybody does silly account fees and things like that. I actually changed my bank because of it, right? And I, I think I saved maybe three or 400, you know, just from account fees, just like that in a year, you know, never mind all the other stuff. And never imagine my surprise when I found out about the berries, hey, you know, and it's very easy to hear that story. And everybody's like, wow, how the hell did you do that? And I, was, I'm, I feel exactly the same. I'm incredulous because I'd never done the flipping math, right? Yeah, Kakapo, brilliant book. Just makes you write down... Everything that's coming in, everything that's going out makes you think about spending, reviewing, and then takes you through this active process where you're reviewing how much is going in and out because it's not just something that you do and then it's done. It makes you keep on top of it. You do it once a month, best 10 quid you've ever spent as an investment. Okay. I'll check that out for sure. Bilal, your thoughts? Anything else that you that, 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 you, that you think? or we... No, I'm, I'm a massive proponent of, of planning. And I think, um, you know, some of the stuff that we've done with James and a lot of the conversations we have is, it, you know, fail to prepare, then prepare to pay. And I, I know it's really cliche, but if, if you don't know what it is, then what are you working towards? How, how do you define what a successful year is? How, how do you understand how you've had a better year versus, you know, this, the, versus last year? Or if it's gone badly, why has it gone badly? And get on top of your numbers, you know, it doesn't take that much time. Speak to the right people. Go on the right courses. Speak to your accountant. You know, get get more familiar with your accountant and be in charge of that conversation. And there's ways you can help that. That says if you're the type of person that waits till December to get your numbers done, get it done in April, be, because I guarantee your your accountant will love you because they will invariably have more time for you to get it done early as possible. And you know, there's there's bookkeeping software you can download. You know, zero free agent stage. Um, QuickBooks, all that kind of stuff that you can you can jump all over and you can control the conversation. And the more you the more you want to control the conversation, the better quality you can get in your accountant because they don't have the system to get to the answer. If you do most of the legwork, they can spend most of the time adding value. And um, website isn't live yet, and I keep making this promise, is that we, we will have a free budget download where you can plan out your next 12, 24 months 
and there will be a calculator on the back of it that says, regardless of what you make, if you need 50 grand, this is what you'd save if you went limited. And there's going to be quite a lot built into that. And that'll be a free download for you guys to play with. That's great. Thanks, guys. Uh, Blau, I wish I wish you were around when uh, when my dad owned his business. He used to uh, he, he used to, he used to just own a shop and things like that. And I remember when we, when he used to take his accounts to um, uh, to his accountant. Uh, basically, what he used to do is he used to have a, have a you know you know a crisp box, the Walker's crisp, the one that all the packets come in. And he just used to throw the receipts in there once a year. And just used to put tape on the top and say to his accountant, "Here you go, deal with it." So, <laughs> It was normally beginning of January. Painful, painful. Brilliant. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, it's been fantastic talking to you. Um, for those who are listening on the Dental Implant Podcast, uh, James is actually the one who got me into investing and, uh, and opened my eyes uh, uh, to that whole world. Um and uh, he's got a, a, a community on, on on Facebook as well. James, just remind us what the, what the, what the podcast called, what the community is, so people can find you if they want. Absolutely. So where myself and Pav know each other, and Bilal as well, actually, for that matter, is from a Facebook group that I created way back when called Dentists Who Invest. And it's for dentists who want to understand a little bit more about what I was talking about today, because there's way more detail and also improve their financial literacy. That's the aim of the game. That's the point of the group. I'll see you all on there. Bilal, thank you very much uh, for uh, for your time as well this evening, mate. So it's uh, uh, I'm going to let you guys get onto it. I'm going to take my next dose of whatever it is I'm supposed to take. <laughs> I think I'm going to go to sleep in another half hour as well. <laughs> All right. Bye, mate.